What's the password? Sorry, I missed that. A swordfish. Oh, wonderful! Thank you. And your and your mother's maiden name. I keep forgetting that too. Um, it would be Johnson. Great, thanks. And uh, and I was going to send you a birthday gift this year. What, I, could you? Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. I'm Jonathan. I'm Roland. I'm Tony. And we are joined today by Ralph, who is the creator of Dwarf Fortress Storyteller. Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, Ralph. Hello. Thanks for having me. So, hey, guys. Hola. We have a full house today, which has been a while since we've uh, had that happen. Mm-hmm. So, have you guys had a chance to play Dwarf Fortress the last couple weeks? Well, I have very minimally been dabbling and doing all sorts of exciting things with Adventure Mode and in Fort Mode and Old Worlds. Roland, you said that you introduced a new person to Dwarf Fortress, right? Yes. Um, I actually got somebody to at least want to play Dwarf Fortress after talking about Adventure Mode. Actually, about... One day after we did that uh, Adventure Mode thing in the book. You remember that? Like, the next day, Monday, I talked in school about Adventure Mode, and mm-hmm. she was very, very interested in that, mostly because I said that you can pet animals. So she's going to try it. Um, other than that, I also played some or DF myself, but... It seems that my current civilization died, and now I have to make a dwarven breeding program to get anywhere. Uh, so my, my fort is just running in the background in hopes of like getting someone pregnant. I'm stuck at 24, and I want at least 80. Uh, we will see. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, uh, I've been doing a fortress myself, and I'm um, I built a brand new world that I have named Jonathan's permanent long-term LTS world (laughs) so that I will just use that. Hopefully what's that catchy. Yeah. Catchy name. It's, it's good branding. It's, good branding. it's a world's long term or the fortress long term? <laughs> That's uh, the, the world long term, yeah. The fortress, I suspect, will, will crash and burn before too, too long because my fortresses typically do. But <laughs> I've made a point again to name my important dwarves so that if things start going bad and I retire the fortress, I can keep an eye out to watch them uh, migrate into my, my next fortress. You have been doing a lot of development work, Ralph. Have you had a chance the last little bit to play uh, to play some Dwarf Fortress and just play? It's been a while since I actually played, and then I played Adventure Mode because I was uh, researching for a D&D campaign I'm running. Uh, so I was walking around the town that my campaign is going in and looking for what quests and stuff uh, the civilians give out. And for the rest, I've Mostly been looking at Legends files. Cool. I've, I've exported some of my old forts that were still in like uh, the previous version of uh, Dwarf Fortress, and they seem to not have died before I didn't want to play and started a new fortress. So you've been playing Dwarf Fortress for quite some time, Ralph, right? Uh, yeah, I, I like same as everyone. Like played for a little while, then stopped, went and do some other stuff, and then I came back to it later. That's I don't know, like more than five years ago now than I when I started it. 
can't imagine how I saw it. Like, I think <laughs> someone recommended it to me, or I found it somewhere. I, I don't know. Everybody, it seems, I don't know that there has been anybody that I have talked to or that we've had on here who said, yeah, I picked up Dwarf Fortress and I loved it immediately and I started playing and I've been playing ever since. Everyone, it seems, does at least one false start with it. And am I, am I right, guys? Has we had anyone on here who, who didn't say that? Um, I think everybody has. I think everyone does. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. always the false start. Yep. No, for almost certain that's the case. Well, that's a, a nice little segue into the pictures that the Dwarf Fortress development people have posted to the uh, to Steam, and they've also posted it to the the Bay Twelve Games site. They've shown uh, they've added some Embark menu improvements that uh, that they're displaying. So, with the user interface improvements, hopefully that start playing, yeah, you know, find it impenetrable. And then start playing again after after a few months. Uh, maybe that will that cycle will stop. We can hope. So, Ralph, did you see the the uh, the screenshots? Yeah, uh, like there are a lot of like different type of backpacks and stuff that I saw in there. But wouldn't it be easier if you just had like backpacks and then like first the different types before you have like uh, this backpack is made from a, a yak. This is this one is made from a reindeer. Like, the scroll bar is not that large, but isn't, like, you have first the types and then the, the materials? That's a really good point. Uh, I ran into something like that whenever I was using the, uh, the MEF launcher. Whenever you go to choose a pet at Embark, you go to pick a dog, and there are so many kinds of dogs that it's, like, <laughs> yes. five pages of dog breeds that you have to pick from. So yeah, oh, that's the MEF one. Messy. Yeah. yeah, you could have, like, Alsatians, and, yeah, I mean, he went deep in that power to him for being one heck of a detail-oriented dude. But it does make it quite inconvenient when you're sitting in the menu trying to find, you know, a, a donkey. <laughs> yeah, and let's be honest, if I embark on a mission, like, I don't care if my backpack is made from turkey leather or wolf leather. What? How, how can you sit there and say that? Well, all I can say is exquisite cat leather is all I care about. <laughs> the um, finest cat leather in the land. That's what I want. I usually just go for leopard leather. Ooh, a man of culture, I see. I just want my shoes to be made from cat. <laughs> and this isn't necessarily going to be the, the, the last mm -hmm. version of it, hopefully. But yeah, that is a good point. I, I spend a lot of time just using, or a lot of the times when I play, I just use the, you know, like the easy peasy start or whatever. I don't, or I've created my own that I sometimes use. So I don't, I'm not that picky about how my starting embarks work. I'll, I, I don't even, like, as long as you've got some of the basics, it doesn't matter. You can just kind of go with it. It's, you know, I, I don't, I probably don't. I'm saying I don't think I'll spend a lot of time on that particular screen, to be honest. Ralph, what do you think of the previous uh, the the graphic style that they're doing for the, the for the monsters and the landscapes? Oh, I really like it. I really like it. I really like the the whole Steam release with all the graphics, especially the map. I I, I love maps, so I really like how the the map looks now. I like it's going to look with the Steam release. 
I really like what Meth and Mayday are doing with those sprites. They are so cool. I just think the details there in that pixelated way. Um, the, I mean, I like the fact that they've kind of unified and, and got a style going. I'm I'm stoked. I think it's going to be cool. And I I also will take it to one more place, which is if they get modding sorted out to be like relatively straightforward, as in you don't need like a master's degree or anything in computer science to be able to mod the game. I bet you the mods on Steam are going to blow up like they have with um, Space Door Fortress. Rimworld? Yep. Uh, I, I don't know. Have, have you looked into modding? Like, yeah, it's not to... too hard. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I would don't say like, hard, I don't think you need a master's in computer science to actually figure wow. out how. You're how absolutely to do it. right. That was that was a hyperbolic way of oh, describing of it. But I do think it's it's um, you know, I, I think it's more cumbersome than you know. I look in the shop and I can click and add things. You know what I mean? Like it's it requires you to edit text files, which can be a little scary for some people. I think. Yeah, if you just go to the like the, the Steam page and you have like, oh, uh, these are the Beatles from Crook uh, Smash, and then you just add, that's much yeah. easier. Right, exactly. Oh, that would be cool. A tile set based on Krug Smash's artistic drawings. It'd have to be a very high resolution. Uh, I wonder. I wonder what size tile set. The biggest I've ever seen, I think, is sixty four pixels. I wonder uh, what the largest the game would be able to support would be. <laughs> like full screen as one tile or <laughs> well no not necessarily but with 4k monitors you could certainly have a 128 pixel uh, uh, tile for a for a, a, a yeah 128 pixel image for a single tile with a with a lot of good detail in it does the viewport change the frame rates like by a lot like you, you get framed that earlier when you have like big screens, or isn't that affected? I, I don't think so. Tony, you play on a 4K monitor, right? I do play on a 4K monitor, yep. But I use the 32 by 32 tile sets. They look good. Yeah, but does the, does the game run slower on your 4K monitor than on the um, full screen? Or? I mean, I don't start having speed problems until I hit about 190 people in a 4, 200 people. Then it starts kind of chugging along, but I'm pretty good. I can... I, yeah, I don't see any problems. It doesn't sure. seem to have any any sort of impact. So I don't think it's doing any sort of GPU or any sort of high tax anything. I think this is a normal CPU stuff is still... I think that becomes a problem before the graphics would... I think that's what I'm trying to say. Let's hope it's not in the Steam release either. Not a problem because there are like 15 layers for every dwarf that it has to render. So I imagine there's like much more going on. Yes. Yeah. Once it got loaded, though, if then then they should just most likely just be there. Even even a 16 frame animation at 32 at 32 uh, pixels isn't going to take up a whole lot of RAM. Wouldn't think. Well, in any case, I don't know the details of how it's implemented. Yeah. Uh, don't either. Soon we will know everything. <laughs> well, I'm not even so sure about that. I think that they may end up keeping the uh, how they implemented the tile set. Maybe they will Maybe they'll they'll be fairly open with that, or as open as they as they can be, because it's not actual game content. It's not it's not gameplay. It's it's display mechanics. But um, yeah, w- there's a lot of secret sauce in Dwarf Fortress that that they are uh, guarding 
that's fine because I think that we've talked about this before. I really don't mind games being closed source for various reasons, but one of the biggest ones is is NetHack is an example of something that you have that people can go into, and all of the secrets are just there to be known. So I appreciate a lot of the a lot of the secrecy. I, I think it's probably good on two fronts. One, like you don't want to overpromise and then underdeliver because then people are just kind of like, oh, you know what I mean, and. So I think there's some of that. I think he probably has huge aspirations for what he wants to do. But at the end of the day, it's sort of like, how much can I get done before I need to actually put out a release? Because otherwise, I think he'd never release anything. Um, so I, I suspect that's some of what's going on. Um, but also, I think it's just like, maybe he doesn't even know what's going to make the release. Or, you know, it's like he might have spent six weeks working on something, but it didn't quite come together like he wanted so i suspect it's much more of a i would say a true agile software development as in he just sort of works on what he feels like working on that day and i think it was that's like awesome. that until the steam thing started happening yeah and i bet you as soon as the steam thing as soon as steam release one happens i'm i i bet you things kind of return back to the way that they were i think he's just trying to get the steam thing done and then he can be like good Okay, I'm going to go back to this. Yeah, it's really it's probably to. going to like take a small break first because I can imagine that the steam thing is really stressful at the moment. Ah, uh, you bet. I'm sure he, that that dude is probably just you know not not sleeping. <laughs> He's really trying to. I can you can tell just by the you know the pace at which they're sending out updates that they're definitely. Like, he's definitely putting a lot into this right now. Yeah. Ralph, do you have a feel for when you think he's going to release the uh, Steam release? Uh, well, I, I cannot look under the hoods what they have implemented and what they have not done. But, like, I, I, like this the, is pure guessing. Yeah. The, the screens that he published, he said they were already implemented into the game. So that means, like, most of like, the core work is already done. Like, they have screens, they have the graphics on the actual mapped. Uh, like natural uh, tiles done so most of the hard work is done now it's just like a lot of like the, all the different sprites all the different edge ca cases uh, like of course things like the military screen and stuff like that they have to think about how to rework that and how it will actually look so I think there are still quite a lot of things to do to be honest the military screen is going to be tough because there is so much detail in, in that that you really can't gloss over just the way that the, the squads work and, and equipping the squads and things that unless they just do a pretty representation of the current actual interface, I would, I would suspect that they're not going to be able to change the, 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 they'll be able to change the, the visuals, but, but probably not the functionality of the, uh, of the military, at least until he makes changes to the way the military works in general. I think they will probably overhaul it all at once because it's sometimes more difficult if you like do it in two stages than just doing all, all at once. Maybe we'll have yeah. a full-fledged military screen that's much nicer. But then again, I've not seen anything about legends or adventure modes just yet. So there are also some things that still have to be worked out, I imagine. Yeah, I, I think the military stuff is going to be really confusing for people when if, if they're not familiar with it. And that's OK. You know, whatever. People figure things out pretty quickly. But um, I, I feel like that could I mean, I get confused and I 
feel like I'm still too dumb to get archers working properly. All I can get him to do is hawk their crossbows at people. I'm going to ask that guy who uh, who gave us the details on the archers to be on sometime soon because um, I think his name's Byron because his his uh, write up for the archers was was really nice. So uh, he would be interesting to to talk to about his procedures and beforehand. I'd like to see if I can implement his procedures because I would like to have archers that actually arch. I usually just close my gates, have like a wall with archers on top, and then it cannot run out and hits the the creatures, and then it will actually shoot. And it seemed to work fine on my end. Yeah, this this Byron person indicated, though, that if you train them correctly, then that is something that you won't even have to worry about, that they will work the way you would expect them to work and not try to run out and bash them over the head with uh, with their with their crossbow. I think that the biggest thing is you want to make sure that your archers at their highest uh, skill level is with archery and not with, say, a mace, because then they will go out and try to use the crossbow as a mace. Oh, okay. oh right. Uh, we it is a it is a recurring theme on this podcast to get lost in the minutia of archery. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much there. Hey, did you notice that they put out another Dwarf Fortress Talk episode? I did. I saw in the Reddit comments they're back. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a regular thing now. So that's cool. Uh, I yeah. I like to imagine that he came on uh, onto our show, realized that he really liked talking about it, and then went ahead and went back to his own thing. Uh, probably not true, but I like to imagine that, yeah. I think it probably helps have that encouragement. I think it probably did help. We While we talk about it from the player's point of view, we can't... We can't even begin to talk about the development side, really. I mean, we talk about what they tell us, but but we can't get into his head, of course. Nope. Yeah, like looking into development is really interesting sometimes. Like seeing how uh, how it works under the hood, and that seems to be a lot. Anybody else have any development uh, for at least Dwarf Fortress development? We're going to talk all about uh, Dwarf Fortress storyteller development here in a moment. But uh, anyone have anything else they'd like to add or bring up about the Dual Fortress development uh, reports and progress? All right, I will take the silence as a indication that we should move on. Okay, and roll. This segment has been brought to you by Urist's Mosquito Brain Flour because they aren't mosquito brain biscuits without mosquito brain flour. The most important thing about fortress keeping is remembering to seal the ocean plug before thaw. So, Ralph, you have developed a utility called Dwarf Fortress Storyteller, and would you just tell us a bit about it? What's what's it for? Who's who's going to like this? Well, I hope a lot of people are going to like it, but uh... <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean it quite the way that came out there. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but so yeah, who, who's your target audience for this? Uh, it's basically something that you put, like, it's replacing the, how should I put it? It's something that uh, works in between Dwarf Fortress and a visualizer. So in the past, you have like a, a Legends Viewer and Legend Browser, and there are some other ones, but those are the two most popular. Uh, but when, when uh, DF Hack or Dwarf Fortress has an update, like 
the XML that it exports changes a little bit, so there are some bugs in mm-hmm. there. And uh, visualizers have well problems with uh, how the changes happen, so they have to be updated to work with the new versions. And that sometimes takes a while because they are not well maintained anymore or like heavily man- maintained. So that's basically the problem I wanted to solve uh, because, well, not having a legend viewer is annoying and I really want to look at all my legends and there are way more interesting stuff in there than uh, than you might imagine. So this is basically something uh, that reads all the XML files, all the legends files, and uh, creates an, a small API that you can use to like request uh, a list of all the historical figures or a list of all the events that happened. Or you only want to look at, I don't know, the artifacts that are created in your world and see what, uh, what their descriptions are. So you can very easily look at, uh, at those things. I probably should have prefaced this this segment by telling people that this is going to be developer heavy. And uh, uh, for those of you who, who aren't programmers, an API is a set, is a set of commands that you can send to one program to let it interact with another program. I think that's probably the best way to, to put it. Yeah, indeed. You basically ask a simple question like, give me a list of all the all the artifacts in this world, and then it will just return like uh, a file with all the artifacts, and you have like different commands for different things. So yeah, so uh, so yeah, I think it stands for application programming interface or something exactly. close to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so this is uh, an HTTP API, is that right? Yeah, uh, a RESTful API is usually described as that. There is also a GraphQL uh, API, but that's not fully implemented at the moment. Oh, that'd be that's- cool. Uh, that, that makes like requesting like relations between data a little bit easier, but it's not fully implemented. Yeah. But that's uh, promising. Let's just put it that way. Does RESTful imply that you can actually write to it as well? Is there is can you actually use your uh, uh, Dwarf Fortress storyteller to tweak what's in the legends data? Technically, yes, but we're not there yet. We only have, we're only in read only mode, so you import the legends and you cannot change it. You can, of course, change the database. So when it imports a world, it uh, stores it in a local database and you basically ask questions into the database. So that means that whenever you uh, have your visualizers open and you already have your world imported, it uses like basically no memory. And uh, no processing power, so it don't, doesn't actually have to like look through everything. Uh, once you request something, it just like it's very quick to respond back to you. And sorry if I'm too technical. Sometimes no, that's fine. Just uh, just hold me back. Um, so what I'm wondering is like, can I just leave it open the whole time, or is it is it something that's like does it make a does it make a cache of the you know do, is it reading live or is it does it make a does it do what it needs to do offline? And- uh, yeah, everything works offline. So the API is basically runs from your server, but you have like two stages in, in Dwarf Fortress Storyteller. You first tell it, uh, I want to import a world, and these are the legends files. You just point it to the legends files, and it will basically look through all the files and see what is there and save it to a database. And the database is just... Uh, by default, if you use uh, SQ, uh, SQLite, it just sorts it into a file 
Postgres is a little bit uh, a different program, different database. Doesn't really matter for now. Uh, but it basically like stores everything locally, so it can very easily search back into that file. Uh, and then you like it finishes with importing, and then you tell it, oh, okay, I now want to like view world five, for example, because you can import multiple worlds uh, at once if you want to. And you can say like I want to view world five, and then the API will start up. It will start up in like three seconds, maybe not even two seconds. And then you can just like ask questions like what what are all the artifacts what uh, what are all the regions in the world which uh, villages exist or something like that. Does it have its own export routine? I know that you can use DF hacks uh, to export the legends data so that I can't remember which one it is either legends browser or or legends viewer one of the two needs you to do the DF hack legends export before you can use it. Do you use that you same can- mechanism? Uh, yeah, we use the exact same uh, the export legends command in uh, DFHack. Uh, so you can use that to like export everything from Dwarf Fortress itself and also from like DFHack custom things. What data format does that file that it exports sit in? Is it an XML file? Yeah, it's an XML file, both from DFHack and Dwarf Fortress. It's both XML files. So we basically take those two files and look through them. And because like uh, the DF hack file that it generates adds more data that is already in the Dwarf Fortress files. Mm-hmm. So in the Dwarf Fortress files, it will just say like, oh, this is all, these are all the historical figures and these are the names and this is a data born. And DF hack, for example, will say like, oh, uh, they were in this conflict and uh, this happened to that person as well. And here are some extra info about the race of the person and stuff like that. So the DF hack file is basically adds more information, but uh, Dwarf Fortress Storyteller is written that you can like do anything basically with it, so you can only give it a Dwarf Fortress file, you can only give it a DF hack file, you can give them both, you can even give it the images and it will import all the images and it will look through for all the other files. And it will also combine them all into uh, the same thing, so if you ask for all the historical figures, it will uh, give everything it found in the Dwarf Fortress files, but also in the DF hack files. So we use the exact same mechanism. You've made this this API, this Dwarf Fortress Storyteller, available to uh, other developers, other modders, so that it, to, it will make it easier for them to create utilities that can make Legends uh, access be more user-friendly for, for Dwarf Fortress players. Uh, do I have that characterized correctly? Chef said exactly correct. Good, good. So I wanted to create a, a a way for other people that are a little bit more design focused than I am uh, to be able to like just have like I don't know a graph of all the his, uh, all the events that happened in the past, uh, and you can very easily like request the data and then just put it in a in a nice graph. Uh, and I think I have some visuals that uh, we can maybe put in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, and also in uh, in the latest updates that hopefully will come out before the podcast goes live, but it probably should. That it has like a built-in uh, viewer. Uh, it's an example, and there are some more examples that I put on uh, on GitLab uh, to like give people an introduction of how they can create it. And you don't have to be technically savvy in order to do it. I added a lot of comments and documentation, uh, so it's should be easy for people to like get started and uh, 
maybe modify the existing uh, existing examples. Can you let people know? And I'm trying to look it up here as we talk, but you may have it off the top of your head. Uh, can you let people know what the address is to the repo on on GitLab? Well, uh, just search for the DF Storyteller in GitLab, or just go to dfstoryteller.com. I also bought a domain name for it. Uh, and there you have links to like where you can download it, uh, where you can you, know, you can find the GitLab on there. There's also a guide we created on, uh, that uh, basically steps you through how to install it, how to set everything up, how to export the legends from uh, from uh, Dwarf Fortress and DFX, and how to uh, add new visualizers. I, I forever have uh, have been looking to get into to modding and utilities and and development around Dwarf Fortress, and I've I've never actually stepped into it. This seems like it would be a good way to uh, to do it. It's really not that difficult. I, I I create most of the like the graphics I created are I created them on like three hours or something like that. I like requested the data and mostly it's styling and what data you wanna you view. You can uh, view the documentation of the API also uh, online. So it's uh, just on the website, but it's also like everything is baked into the. Uh, it's executable, so once you uh, download it, you can have your local API. You can just uh, re- easily request the data. You don't even have to like. Well, you basically open the documentation, click a button that says "Try, Try Now," or just say "Try," uh-huh. and it basically requests the data for you, and you can view how it looks. And it also on the side it says like, "Oh, this field, for example, the name of the historical figure in all lower caps." Sounds easy enough to, to get started with. I hope it is. If it isn't, I failed in my job. So. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been working on this project? Uh, for way too long, to be honest. Uh, I think I've started this in February. So it's six months now. So it's been your COVID months. baby, right? <laughs> Sorry? So it has been your COVID baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, it, it just happens that I started uh, with... D&D, a D&D session that was based around the Dwarf Fortress world. So I did a lot of digging through the Legends files uh, for that. Oh, we, we had a uh, we had a, a guest on uh, about a year ago who actually created an RPG around around uh, Dwarf Fortress. It's pretty neat. Yeah, this is the same I did here. Uh, my players, well, we're currently on uh, like holiday break because everybody had to go on holidays. Uh, but after in a few weeks, hopefully we'll start again, and we will continue because they were trying to overthrow the government. It was uh, made of goblins, and they didn't like it in their human civilization. Uh, and that's also why I started on uh, Dwarf Fortress Storyteller because uh, I wanted to view more data on the legends, and it uh, well got out of hand real quick. <laughs> that actually answered the question that was going to become next. It was going to be what particular event first inspired you to embark on a project like this and create it. So it was a it was a side effect of of a D and D session, huh? Well, a D and D campaign. So yeah. there were a lot of missions that I created in there, and we're still playing in it. And it's a lot of fun to have like a. Because all the players I play with uh, have never played Dwarf Fortress, uh, and so I put them in a Dwarf Fortress world, and it's really fun to see them 
like explore everything and because all the legend viewers that I used up until now to create that because Dwarf a photo storyteller wasn't created back then. Um or wasn't finished. Uh it was like fun to like look around and see like oh this person uh is a very good liar. So when they spoke to that person in uh, in D and D he was also a good liar. So it's really fun to like look through everything. We're currently looking for more people to create visualizers, because currently you can download Dwarf Auto Storyteller, but there's not really that much to look at at the moment, and I have to admit the UI is command line, and Windows is not really great for command line utilities. Uh, Linux, Linux and Mac are way better at that, but hopefully someone will create like a, a graphical user interface for 12 foot storyteller so you can more easily start it and don't have to like figure out how PowerShell or uh, command prompt works yeah I think that you're the people who are going to use it uh, possibly I don't know that may be a, an overgeneralization but, but I think that people who would think to use a tool like this API to create uh, a, a new uh interface for for legends mode they're probably going to be fairly comfortable on the command line in, in any case yeah they don't, probably don't have a problem with the command yeah. line and also the commands are really not that complicated you have to basically know how to import and how to start the server and those are two commands you have to know but that's basically it it's just that uh, for less technically savvy people it's a bit more complicated just to know what you want to do and how to actually get there. And a lot of debugging, but uh, I hope that when, uh, when new visualizers come out, they can just include uh, Dwarf of the Storyteller with their visualizer, and they just make a button that you click, and then you can import the world, and another button that you click, and then you can start it and view it. So they basically use it under the hood, uh, but don't have to like use it directly. Are you the only contributor to the to the Dwarf Fortress Storyteller repo? Uh, at the moment, not. Not the only one. There are two people who contributed. One did a spelling mistake uh, on the readme file, and another one already like looked into the code quite a lot, and uh, he already fixed a lot of linting errors and, uh, and other problems in the code. So... And you developed this in Rust, is that correct? Yep. It's a very wonderful programming language. If you ever if you're into programming, I would highly uh, I would highly recommend learning Rust, the programming language. The the like the code for DF Storyteller is also very separated, so it's not that difficult, I hope, to get started uh, when you look at the code. But just as a separate thing, you can it's a lot of fun. The rest is a lot of fun. I'm most comfortable uh, whenever I pick up a new language. I seem to do better if it's a C-style language because that's what I'm most comfortable with. Uh, is it a C-style, if you will, language, or is it closer to something like Python or, or Oh, you know, no, it's, uh, it's very similar to C. Okay. Uh, there's, uh, there's some little quirks you have to like know that are different from uh, C++ or C. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's mostly very similar. You will be very comfortable starting with Rust. So if you know C, 
uh, then uh, you probably won't have problems problems picking up the language. Okay. It's well, I wouldn't say marketed, but it's mainly marketed as a C uh, replacement, so ah. C plus plus or C replacement. It's developed by Mozilla, the company that creates Firefox. Mm-hmm. And now the programming language is like open source, so it's separate uh, from Mozilla. But they started it, and uh, it's it has a lot of benefits that you wouldn't imagine it has from the start. Uh, so for example, you know, a lot of like tiny things like uh, compiling your code. You don't have to like figure out how make files work and stuff like that. Right. It basically hun- handles that all under the hoods. Uh, and it's very easy to install new packages. Uh, when it compiles, uh, you, it includes all the dependencies inside the binary, so you don't have to like deal with, oh, it works on my machine, but it doesn't work on their computer because they don't have this in this library installed. So it, it's very nice. Yeah, it's I could nice. actually sit here and go deeply into uh, into the to the dev because my next question was going to be is it interpreted but then I realized that this isn't a, a development no, it's podcast compiled. it's a it's compiled okay <laughs> we'll, we'll talk so a lot of this may end up getting cut out and uh, and will be available only to the uh, to the uh, people who get the bonus content on uh, on Patreon so <laughs> but if you're into right. development uh, well you should you should check that out so let's see there was uh, something else I was wanting to bring up there. Uh, Roland and uh, Tony got very quiet there <laughs> um, yeah you know let's let you get on with it <laughs> <laughs> um, it's mostly because I honestly have no idea how, what you guys were just talking about um, you could have conversed in Chinese um, so I'm just gonna ask all over again because uh, I don't know what you gave us uh, as an answer. Um, so as far as I got was, you have something that makes a lot of grabs. I have something that makes it very easy to make lots of grabs. Ah, so. It is more based on graphics and graphs and like no, statistics. No, no, it's not limited real. to that at all. You can have like uh, to just give an example. You, you are comfortable with like Legends Browser or Legends Viewer? Like you've seen those. Mm-hmm. You can recreate those with Dwarf Fortress Storyteller. You can very easily like, oh, I want uh, on the title bar, I want the name of my world. And then you just ask the API, what is the name of my world? Okay, and then you fill that in. And you say like, oh, I mm-hmm. want here, I want a list of all uh, the civilizations I have in my world. And then it will just give you a list of all the civilization and you put them in a list. And then you say like, oh, but I want also a pie chart. Like uh, I think Legends Viewer has it. Mm-hmm. Uh, has like a pie chart of how many goblins or humans live in your world. And then you ask the API for like, oh, g- give me a count on how many uh, humans or goblins there are in this world. And then just gives you a count. There are like 5,000 humans, 2,000 goblins in this world. And when you actually create a graph, then it's very easily just like put in the numbers and combine it with the values. So it's very easy to create something like that. Okay, so I, I as a user, am able to like customize how this program looks to me. Yeah, so uh, that's going to be cool. Um, 
I mean, I think you're going to probably, hopefully, start seeing people do some really cool things, and then the non-techie folks can kind of just download and use those, right? Is mm -hmm. that sort of what I'm... Yeah, cool. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm just putting some pictures in the Discord. I think they will be in the show notes uh, afterwards. So here you can see uh, some plots. This is uh, the, like the utility I wrote uh, to, well, for myself to check if everything is working. So this is just a timeline of uh, what happens in a particular world. So there are two different worlds. One has uh, 1,000 years and the other one has like 100 years or 125 years. And it just shows uh, how many events happened, how many uh, historical figures got born, how many died, how many relationships changed. You can see spikes in the data. And when you see like a spike in the amount of People that died, you know, oh, there's probably something that happened around that time. And then you can look into that more. So, Ralph, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but Roland, I think that this uh, that this project is go not going to be as much interest to people who only like to play Dwarf Fortress, but it will be of extreme interest to people who are interested in making uh, uh, mods for it. So, yeah, I, ho I hope that this is a catalyst mm -hmm. to creating lots of visuals around Dwarf Fortress. Anything that keeps me from having to parse XML myself, I like. <laughs> <laughs> we give it uh, back to you in JSON format. So I think JSON I... is a little bit nicer than XML. And in JavaScript, it's very easy to like, or, like parse it again because it always returns valid, uh, valid JSON. Did that answer your question, though, Roland? Uh, yes, I think so, even though the last part was a bit too much again, but <laughs> yes. Um, it's hard also, to get rabbit I, hole, yeah. <laughs> um, I really want to urge you to put the last picture somewhere in the show notes, because now it actually shows that there's more than just graphs. You can, like, customize things, and you can see... It's good, yeah. you know, it's good. That will Before, I was like, oh, okay, we have graphs, but this is more like, I can see. Yeah, with your permission, Rob, I'll probably can... use that as the, uh, as, the mm -hmm. show, as the featured image for the show. And one last question. Um, sometimes you kept referring to, like, we, when you spoke about the development. Did you do that on your own, or had you help? Uh, let's just say it was 99.9% .9 my own, and it was, uh, in the last few weeks, some people helped uh, with a few things. So, And I also Ooh. had some people that would, uh, that debugged it a little bit, so thanks for those people as well for helping. That's very cool. But if you want to contribute to the code, the code is on GitLab. Give it a try. The most important thing about fortress keeping is relaxing. Just sitting back, letting your fortress roll the way it wants to roll, and picking up the body parts when the chips fall where they may. We last week started recording our first video series. Uh, it is a, the idea is that we're going to do an adventure mode playthrough with me driving the character and Roland and Tony giving me advice on what to do next. So we've got the first uh, hour or so of content recorded. 
and I have uh, begun editing it, and I hope by the time this particular episode is released, I hope to have the first uh, the first episode of that, the first video up on YouTube on the uh, DF Roundtable channel on YouTube, so be sure to check that out if you haven't. Uh, we mentioned that last week on our on our episode, or on our last episode, that is, and we've gotten quite a few actual subscribers to the Dwarf Fortress Roundtable YouTube channel, so that's yeah, I was just about to say, everybody should subscribe to the YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, right now, there's only one video, and that was uh, an early live stream of uh, of the episode. So, But yeah, that will be changing. Hopefully, by the time you receive this podcast in your feeds, you will have uh, new episodes. Uh, sorry, you will have new videos out there to, to look at and, and watch me stumble around a world as a adventure mode character. But you can see all the interesting ways Jonathan is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that this might be a good time for us to wrap up. I know that we all have things that we need to do. Yeah, you folks over there in Europe probably need to be going to sleep soon. <laughs> it's, nah, it's half past it's, eight. It's good. So, yeah. That's fine. Uh, we'll get to bed. Anyone? Don't stay up all late. Sleep is good for you. It's restful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the pun that all only right. a few people are going to get. <laughs> Wait, that was a joke? Yeah, <laughs> RESTful is a programming term. It's got to do with how with APIs and, uh, and requesting information oh, from, okay. from, from I, web I servers. It, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. How dare you? <laughs> Capital R-E-S-T, oh, lowercase full. <laughs> Shall we do yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So everyone, um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much, Ralph, for, uh, for joining us. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to playing around with this thing. It's going to be great. Is there a way for people to get hold of you, Ralph, to, to see what you're doing? Uh, check out Dwarfoto Storyteller. There's a link to the Discord, and I'm on there quite a lot. So you can kind of contact me through there. Otherwise, just check out the code, create some nice visuals, and if you're not a programmer, <laughs> it's not that difficult. It's a good way to get started with programming, I think, as well, because JavaScript on itself is not that difficult. And if you have questions, just feel free to ask. I will gladly help you. Okay, great. All right. So with that, we're going to end this episode of Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. And everyone have a, uh, a great week. Yep. See you, Rolf. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Please stop by and leave a comment or suggestion in the comments section for this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. Music for this episode is from filmmusic.io. Sky Cullen and Folk Round are both by Kevin McLeod. You can find more music from Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Please consider donating to the creators of Dwarf Fortress at bay12games.com. If you'd like to help support Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, you can find us on Patreon. Links to all of these are in the show notes.